you can go ahead and go with Miss D. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. There's people here. My goodness. So different than talking to a camera. It's crazy. It just shows me. This is so obvious. But the last two months and then tonight show me that we are creative for community. There's few things like coming together with other believers in order to praise the almighty maker of everything. Just the energy that's built and the fact that we are in this together is so good. You know, I will say the one downside about not just talking to a camera, though, is I have to care about what I look like from the waist down. <laughs> is my fly zip? Do I have shoes on? Josh and I actually have to wear deodorant and brush our teeth. You know, for those of you that aren't here and those of you that are here, we're going to continue to meet like this as long as Rapid City allows us. We will respect their guidelines of social distancing, hand sanitizers, cleaning, all those things, but we will be down here Saturday night after Saturday night after Saturday night. You know, there's room here. So if you are comfortable, that's crucial. Pray about it. And if you are not sick, if you are well, please consider coming down. You know, before we hop into the message, I just want to let you guys know, the Elwards had a baby like six days ago. Little Loey B, Lois. And I know them a lot. Seth and Brittany are just moments away, I'm sure, from having their third kid. You know, she was due today. So if they come to your mind, definitely pray for them, reach out to them. Uh, we are a fertile bunch. You know, we're kind of getting beyond that, but apparently a few of us like to, yeah. All right. So, you guys ready to think a little deeper? Okay. So every single one of us operates and has preconceived ideas of what is true. Somewhere throughout our past, we have learned or been taught what we consider truth. These truths fall under every single category of thinking. You know, let me give you some examples. So it's really obvious with kids. Gibson, my seven-year-old son, has a really good vocabulary, but he still says the phrase, just for you know. Just for you know, we're going to have church tonight. And he believes that that is what he's supposed to say, and we're you know, too bullheaded as parents to want to have him give up that cuteness. Right? I remember as a kid, I was taught somewhere along the way that flies poop every time they land. And so I believe that every time a fly lands on me, it poops. Or that uh, daddy long legs are the most poisonous spiders, but their mouths are too small so we can't get their poison. I have no idea if that's true, but I live as if it's true. Right? And these preconceived ideas obviously go much deeper. Right? For 15 years of my life, I believed that the happiest I could ever be is if I was high. And so I operated out of that deeper belief system. You know? And I still, unfortunately, believe that what I say and what I think is true. Therefore, you know, I can just hold on to my own understanding of things. Right? I am always right. You know, I'm trying to get better at that, but still deep within me is that belief that I am always right. You know, we do the same thing with the God of the Bible. As Christians... We have preconceived ideas of who God is and what we think he is all about. You know, so much of this comes from how we are taught, how we were raised. You know, and there is a lot of value in teaching. You know, I'm a teacher by trade. We can learn things from teachers, from other people that we can't learn on our own. But when it comes to biblical truth, if we stop there, if we settle with only learning from other people, 
then we're only going to catch a glimpse of what God wants us to have. You know, there's multiple reasons for these limitations, but let me give you two. If you solely depend on another to help you learn the Bible, then your brain will only engage to a certain depth. By simply reading or listening to another per person's point of view, your mind will only go so far in learning what is true. You know, for me, whenever I listen to a sermon, I've noticed that often I'm just glazing over most of what is being said and maybe latching on to one or two points that I remember for a week at most. You know, but when a person takes the time to read and think through the verses themselves, they are forcing their brain to engage at a much deeper level, which allows them to learn and comprehend and then apply these truths. You know, the second limitation that I want to point out that comes from solely learning from another person is that we give them the power to determine what is true. That means that we are fully trusting another person to show us the deeper truths that influence every part of our life. However, when somebody goes straight back to the source and continually returns to the source to verify what they've been taught, then they have a much better chance to learn something that's genuine and unchanging. Now, I tell you all of this to encourage you to take advantage of what we have in our hands. You know, we have total access to the living word of God, a collection of 40 books that have been inspired by the creator of everything and have been far more preserved than any other form of history. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it gets even better because you have the spirit of God within you. You know, Jesus describes the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God in John 16 by calling him the spirit of truth, which will lead you into all truth. That means when you take time to intentionally read and study the Bible, God himself will highlight things within your mind, within your emotions, within your life. You know, I think that's why I love the way that the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 4.12. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And think about that, how powerful that could be. Now, if you do this, if you take the time to really study and consider the word of God, I promise you that your life will be made better because of it. You know, I think this is why Joshua said what he said as he got leadership from Moses. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, that's the Bible, shall not depart out of your mouth. He's like saying you got to hang on to it. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. You're not talking business success necessarily, but successful at living life the way that you have been made to live. Now, with all this, to, all this being said, you guys ready to learn from me? <laughs> My desire tonight and every time I teach is to create an interest in a certain passage and to give you some points to consider so that you can go home and study it on your own. You see what I'm putting into your hands right now? I'm not here to try to impress you or to give you that tingly feeling that some pastors and preachers can give you. I'm here to teach you the word of God so that way you can do it on your own. You know, we're starting to get near the end of the series, Jesus in the Old Testament. 
You know, an extremely common preconception is that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is full of judgment and wrath, while the God of the New Testament is full of love, grace, and compassion. You know, many Christians, people who genuinely follow Jesus, that will see God face to face, have been taught that the God of the Old Testament is all about rules and punishment. But when Jesus showed up, God was able to change his mind and approach people out of love and mercy. And, but the reality is that God does not change. Think about this, a being of that magnitude, right? He's been alive forever, and he has the power to create the universe. He is fully consistent. His character and his approach to creation does not change throughout time. You know, our hope through this series is that you have begun to see that the God of the Old Testament interacts with people in the same way that Jesus did. My hope for tonight, what I want you to see even just a little bit of, is that God has always understood mankind's inability to live perfectly and has always provided a way for them to be made right in his eyes. Now, before we get into the passage, it'll be Leviticus 16. I want to give you a little context. Throughout the entire nation, the history of the nation of Israel, from the time that they were freed from slavery in Egypt and then became a nation, they have been living under a God-given law. 611 commandments that show them the best way they can live. 611 laws that help them live the way that God created them to live. Now, each one of these falls under one of two categories. Loving God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, or loving people the way that you want to be loved. Now, the law in, its, in, of, in and of itself is evidence that God cares about us. Instead of abandon, abandoning a wicked creation, he instead steps in and gives us direct instructions and guidance on how we can live our lives the best way possible. But with any law, there comes punishment. For those who choose to disobey the rules, consequences occur. Now, the punishments, I believe, exist in order to give incentive to keep the law. Right? Nobody wants to be spanked or put in time out, or to lose privileges, or to have to give away their money. And within the law of God, there is an even greater punishment than the momentary and the small. Total separation from the one who made us and everything around us. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard that. Please do not glaze over that. That's a big deal. To be cut off from the source of life. Right? God is the one who made everything, who sustains everything. Without him, there would be nothing. And breaking the law means that you should be cut off entirely from him. Now, this consequence is not because God is judgmental or vindictive. It is because he is holy or perfect, without flaw. Because of this, anything that is imperfect cannot be in his presence without being consumed by him. You know, I feel like in thought, the reason this is is because whatever is holy needs to remain holy, and so it must remove what is unholy, so that way it's not tainted by it. So the foundation of God's law is that whoever did not keep it should be completely cut off from the source of life. You know, I think that this is why people see the God of the Old Testament as judgmental and vindictive, full of wrath and anger, right? He set a perfect standard that nobody can live up to. But the only way you should see that is if the only thing you look at is the law, the rules, and the punishment. 
But there's a whole other component to the law. Sacrifices. The sacrifices are the ways that God's people can show him in a tangible way that he is their priority, giving him the best of what they have. Sacrifices are also the reason why God was able to dwell in the middle of the Israelite nation. So I got a picture for you. It's a cartoon drawn up, um, but they got this from um, the description that's given in Exodus, Leviticus, maybe Numbers, how he was supposed to, Moses was supposed to set up the camp. And so all around this, what they call the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, is the entire nation of Israel. Now what happens in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle, is where God himself comes to dwell. Right? This is where the Holy of Holies is at, and the Ark of the Covenant. You guys seen where the tabernacle is at in comparison to the nation? It's just right in the middle. Right? All 12 tribes are ordered around God. Now, the only way that a perfect and a just God has the ability to live in the midst of a broken and wicked people is when something else bears the punishment that people justly deserve when they break God's law. Now, for the rest of the time, I want to focus in on a sacrifice that happens only once a year, on a day that was called the Day of Atonement. Now, in my opinion, Leviticus 16 shows us God's mercy and grace in an undeniable way. Now, please, please take time to read through this chapter on your own tonight, tomorrow, sometime this week. Right? I'm just going to fly through it. What we see is that once a year, the high priest performs a series of sacrifices that cleanse the entire nation of Israel from all of their sins. Did you guys hear that? Let's just read out of the Bible itself so you can see what I'm talking about. Leviticus 16, verses 29 and 30. This shall be a statute to you forever. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall deny yourself. It's the idea of a fast. And shall do no work, neither the citizen nor the alien who resides among you. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. From all your sins you shall be clean before the Lord. This is the Old Testament. Remember that. This is in the middle of the law. Did you catch what he said? An atonement shall be made for you for all your sins. Now, atonement defined reparation or repair for a wrong or injury. It means that the wrongs are being made right. The penalty has been paid and total forgiveness is granted. That means on the Day of Atonement, all the people of Israel were fully forgiven of every sin, every act of disobedience against God, every time that they were selfish right, and hateful and rude towards other people. One series of sacrifice and every person who belonged to the people of God were made clean in the eyes of their maker. And the people had to do nothing to make this happen. It was declared a complete fast, right? A time of total Sabbath where they just had to sit back. It was all taken care of by the high priest. Let me quickly walk us through this. Now, something that's important to know about the Israelite sacrifice, sacrificial system, is that it was a bloody mess, literally. 
right? Especially when it came to seeking atonement and forgiveness. We kind of get a little insight in the book of Hebrews, verse, chapter 9, verses 22. He says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, I know this is probably a bit strange to us, right? It's different for our culture. But for them and most of the surrounding nations during their time, they saw blood as life. And so when the law was broken that demanded, the punishment demanded somebody's life, then blood was shed. So on the Day of Atonement, when the people of Israel were forgiven of every sin that they had ever committed, blood was shed. Now, the high priest would first kill the bull in order to cleanse himself. And then he would sacrifice a goat for the people. Now, this blood was sprinkled all over the tabernacle in order to cleanse it from the people's wickedness. Right? My thought was to keep reading these things to you, but I'm just going to let you get in there and look at it. Now, the idea of sprinkling it was in order to clean the temple. Because you've got to remember, how can a holy and just God be in the midst of a wicked people? Right? And so they, they first sprinkle everything around the tabernacle in order to clean his dwelling place. So that way God himself can remain in the midst of his people. Now after the sacrifice of the bull and the goat, another goat was brought before the high priest. For this one, he lays his hands on its head and he transfers all of the sins of the people onto the goat. The goat was then brought out of the camp and into the wilderness and left there to die. I'll read that one. Verses 21 and 22. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all of the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and sending it away into the wilderness by means of someone designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. And I believe this is where that term scapegoat originated. Because of this goat, because he carried all of the people's sins and paid the just punishment for what they had done, right, which was total separation from Yahweh, right, you see the goat went away from the people carrying the sins, kind of like Jesus being dragged out of the city onto a hill, right? God was able to remain in the midst of his chosen people, protecting and providing for them. You've got to understand that without the Day of Atonement, God would not have been able to bless this nation. He would have been fully removed from them. And are you seeing the obvious connections that this has to the God of the New Testament, to Jesus? They're interlaced throughout this entire story. Right? To make it obvious, in 33 AD, because God wanted to remain in the midst of his creation in order to guide us into better lives, to empower us to live these lives, he provided a substitute, someone who would pay the just penalty for our wickedness. Let's look at some verses. 1 Peter 2. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's look at one more, Romans 5. While we were still weak, that means we were sinners, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for the righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one would 
there to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because Jesus did this, just like the nation of Israel, we have the ability to be atoned for our sins, for the times where we live out of line with the way that we were created to live, when God is not our priority, when people are treated harshly in ways that we would not want to be treated. And the mind-blowing thing about all this is that what Jesus did, right? Jesus is God himself, was far more permanent than what a goat could do for the Israelites. And if you want to see this all unpacked, go to Hebrews 9. It's more or less commentary on the Day of Atonement, Hebrews 9 and 10. So we're going to look at verses, chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? Verses 24 and on. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Not, nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundations of the world. But as it is, please catch this, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age, to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. I emphasized it, right? I hope you heard it. Once for all. Just to make it clear, look at chapter 10, verses 14. For by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Are you picking up on this? For me, it's undeniable where we stand when we placed our faith in Christ. Through what Jesus did, those who cry out to him can be fully forgiven of every single sin, regardless of how terrible it was or how minute, in your past, your present, and in all the days to come. Because of that, we are able to directly interact with the Almighty of heaven and earth without hesitation, even when we're suffering the consequences of our own foolishness. You know, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. And I hope you're getting this. Just like the Israelites, we have to do nothing to make it happen. Our role in our salvation is only to cry out to our Redeemer and then sit back and let God take care of our sins for us. Right? Galatians 2, verses 16. Yet, who knows what man is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one shall be justified. 
We can do nothing to earn our salvation, but it is so freely given to us. And I know this is a lot of Bible. I see a few Bible nerds out here, right? But I know this is a lot of Bible. My hope, my hope is that you're starting to see or be reminded of a universal, timeless, and unchanging principle. When you think about this, it has the ability to drastically change every aspect of your life. When you firmly know that your innate brokenness is completely taking care of the one who made you, that you don't have to do anything to earn his favor, that all you have to do is rest in what he has done for you, this can have a direct view that you have on yourself of your own value and your own worth. It can also have a direct way that you view others and their brokenness, which you have to deal with day in, day out. Even more importantly, it can have direct effect on your view of God. It can help you understand that he has always been merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exodus 34. It can be such a strong encouragement for you to continually go to him, even in the midst of whatever you happen to bring upon yourself. And knowing that God has always pursued mankind in the midst of their brokenness and that you cannot sin your way out of his love should directly affect our view of him and our desire to have him involved with our day-to-day lives. And we let him into our present, and he can bring you the life that you desperately want. You know, as I finish up, I'm going to challenge or encourage you. Depending on your personality type, you can read it however you like. Read your Bible. There's going to be a post on Facebook, if that's where you're at, with all the verses I look through. For you in here, there should be one coming up behind me. Write these verses down, take a picture of it, do something so that way you can go home and dig into this on your own. If you're at all like me, maybe you're smarter than me, maybe you're able to comprehend more than me, but you, you heard such little of what I said. So get into these verses, pray through them, think through them, figure out how they apply to your life. It's only in that that God can truly take a hold of who you are and make you into who he wants you to be. Let's let's keep worshiping.